Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today I'm excited to talk to Ian Hensel, who's the managing publisher of Rattling Good Yarns Press. Welcome, Ian. Well, hello. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you. I appreciate it very much. What is? Um, tell us what Rattling Good Yarns Press is and what you do. Okay. Well, we're a small LGBTQ plus owned and operated press. Uh, we are focused on what we call the overlooked voices in the LGBTQ plus community. And we publish a broad array of books. We're not a genre publisher. We publish both fiction and nonfiction books. So we have both fiction and nonfiction. We have two very strong lines. I love it. How long have you been doing this? How long have you been around? We are about four years, three and a half, four years old okay. now. Right. So I, I started the press after I retired from my corporate career, <laughs> which was, of all things, in uh, technology product development, okay. product management, and product marketing. So you had a little bit of a foothold in what you would need to do for this job as publisher. Um. As far as marketing, uh, when we started, I couldn't, I don't know that I knew what an, I knew what an ISBN number was, <laughs> but I didn't know what an ISBN number was. Um, and, you know, ironically, you know how you come full circle in mm-hmm. your life, Dan? Well, back in 1970, <laughs> when I got out of college mm-hmm. and the economy, uh, Carter was in the White House, the economy was doing very poorly. I had graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and a minor in theater. Okay. Really marketable. <laughs> and I, I had a lot of trouble finding a job. You know, I think people find it hard to understand how hard the job market was. And I kept hearing that I was overqualified for jobs. And I was applying for file clerk. Um, so... I finally, in the end, after working for New York State Unemployment and then being laid off by New York State Unemployment, New York State Unemployment unemployed me, I found myself two jobs. One was in publishing and one was in the travel industry. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but the take home, I think my the salary difference was with one job, I the publishing job, I'd be taking home $135 a week. And with the travel job, I'd be taking home $140 a week. And for our younger viewers, one could live, you know, have an apartment and live on that kind of money back, back in 1900. <laughs> so I took the job that paid $5 more a week. Of course. And I always wondered what would have happened to my life had I taken the job in publishing. 
And uh, now I know. And I did have a strong background. Um, it was a very strong liberal arts background. So I had courses in comparative classics, comparative modern literature, uh, theater criticism. So, I mean, I did have a very strong liberal arts background and I, and I did read and still do read a lot. So the publisher you worked for, uh, how many times has it been eaten up into a bigger conglomerate? You know, or I, don't, I, don't, I don't even remember, you know, I don't remember what their name was. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you're asking, I can't remember why I just walked into the kitchen. You're asking me to remember something from the <laughs> Yes, but Ian, when we get older, it's supposed, we're supposed to remember the stuff way back when, but I totally get it because some days I'm like, I'm not even sure where I am, much less where I'm headed. So, <laughs> well, you know, speaking of that, I, came out right after I graduated high school. Um, oh, okay. July 21st, 1973 was the day I came out. I um, kept a journal for years, for about 20 years. So I know the exact date <laughs> that it happened. And when I came out, you know, it was the Vietnam War and there was all this stuff going on. And I came out very politically as well. So, um, I came out with a vengeance. So I, I always have very strong political roots. Me and you both, you know, and mine weren't always popular, but I stuck by them and I still do. It's the same values that I had 30, 40 years ago. I still have now, and I'm happy with those. You know, I really am. You know, in Rattling Good Yarns Press, we have two mission statements. There are actually probably three, but we have two mission statements. We have the outward facing mission statement, which is uh, we bring overlooked LGBTQ voices to light, um, you know, and we serve the LGBTQ plus community. Our internal mission statement is uh, produce quality work and treat people right, mm -hmm. because that is that is so important. But underlying everything are our politics. Because if you if you kind of peel back the onion on the statement, we bring overlooked LGBTQ voices to light. Um, I, I'm retired, so I'm, I'm freely admit that I'm not doing this to support myself. This is more or less a full time job, but you know, often we would have authors come to us, and the most common feedback I heard from authors is that other publishers liked their work, but they didn't know what the market was. And I get it. I mean, I, I was, I was a manager. I, I, you know, I was responsible for departmental budgets, creating budget. And you, you know, if you're a publisher and you're doing this because, you know, you obviously want to make some money, you have to think about market. Because, you know, there, you might be paying an editor, you might be paying a layout person, you might be paying a design person, you might have marketing people. So you have a fairly substantial sunk cost into a book before it ever gets out there. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. want to make sure that you get a return on your investment, that you're sure. at least going to break even. Uh, we don't have those pressures. And also... Um, my corporate background and my business background, we practice extreme, ex, extreme, extreme <laughs> fiscal, uh, fiscal control. 
so, you know, we're very prudent with our spending. We don't try to do more than we're fiscally capable of. So I know what it will take for us to break even on a book. So coming back to that, it means that a lot of books don't get published. They're good books, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they don't get published. And that kind of starts to get to our political roots. Because I said at the, at the start that we publish both fiction and nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And that nonfiction arm or that nonfiction line of books makes us rather unique among small LGBTQ publishers because it's, it's a risk. But we feel we're, we're telling our history. So, for example, this month, uh, we're bringing out uh, three nonfiction books, okay. one of which is, it's coming out on the 12th of September, is a history of the bathhouse, Man's Country, uh, Man's Country More Than a Bathhouse by mm -hmm. Owen Keenan. He's a Chicago writer and historian. And Man's Country was started by Chuck Renslow. And Chuck Renslow started IML, International Mr. Leather. Man's Country was, it was more than a bathhouse. Yes. It was part of the community. Um, they sponsored, um, you know, AIDS awareness, uh, an, a van to go around and, and educate people. So, but that kind of book wouldn't be published. No, no, you're right. Because, and, and I, I'm actually quite, and we get such a book out there because we feel it's important to get our history out there. We're, we're publishing a memoir called Hippie Faggot Freak, The Making <laughs> of a Gay Liberationist by Dale Mitchell. Um, he dropped out in, in the 60s, went to the East Village, and he was part of the whole gay hippie movement. Uh, he he lived with Lou Reed's ex-boyfriend, Lou Reed of the Velvet Underground. Mm -hmm. He used to go shop uh, shoplifting with Holly Woodlawn, <laughs> who was one of Andy Warhol's superstars. He was also he also used to go to the Stonewall, and he was at the riots for two nights. Wow! And I mean, so he paints this whole picture of life and what it was like then. Well, that wouldn't get out there. No. You know, and, and then finally, uh, we have a book that's going to be what I consider a crossover book. Uh, it's by Ross Terrell, who many people may not know who he is now, but he was once upon a time, he was all over television. He was a Harvard uh, professor and he wrote a series of art. He was a China expert and he wrote a series of articles about China that Henry Kissinger used as briefing material for wow. Richard Nixon for the historic trip to China. When Walter Conkright was on the ground in China, Ross was in the studio providing color commentary. Wow. He wrote all these books. He, he advised uh, con senators, congressmen. He was friends with Rupert Murdoch. What nobody knew was that he was gay, and for over 40 years he kept, shall we say, a rather intimate diary, and and we're publishing that. Oh, I love that. And so those are the sorts of things that I don't know that other 
publishers would tackle. We're, we're publishing a thriller and it's also, well, it, it, it's perfectly suitable for adults, but it, 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 the, the writer wrote it for, I think it's called the new adult market or young adult mm-hmm. market, mm-hmm. but it's a thriller called an angry God. And in it, there's a serial killer who's killing young gay men in a small Indiana town. And the author, Russell Sanders, um, had been published before, but his publisher said they didn't think it was suitable because of the topic. And the serial killer is being spurned on by a Christian minister who's saying that the serial killer is doing the Lord's work. Sadly, it's too similar to what does happen in real life. Well, we felt, I felt, this is really important. Yes. Because, and the novel, again, is is an excellent novel. So I I think adults will like it. But if a young person picks it up, they should know that there are dangers in the world. Absolutely. And, And I think it also conveys that what we say has consequences. Absolutely. And, and, then, and then finally, I'm sorry, no, we're, 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 we have a, a book that's coming out by Thomas uh, Dominici. It's called Soul Murder. And Thomas was a psychologist who worked with sexually abused and abused children. And he also worked with abusers. He's now oh, retired. And there's something, there's a psychological condition where it, it's called soul murder, I guess, where the, the soul, the person just kind of goes dead inside. And this is, it's, it's about a serial killer who's tracking down people and, and killing them. And again, it's a thriller, not young adult at all. This is very adult. <laughs> but these are the sorts of things that might make other publishers think, oh, there's no market for it, or we feel uncomfortable with the subject matter. And, and those are the sorts of things that we feel compelled to bring out there because when you say, I understand the pressures of marketing and the pressures of sales, but when you say there's no market for that, in a way that's censorship. I agree. And I, I, so I just returned from BoucherCon, which was in San Diego. And one thing I heard from what I might call some authors who are not number one bestsellers on every list or who can't pay their way to the top one of the things I heard from several authors, whether they were in the LGBTQ family or not, was that they felt unheard. And that seems to be something that Rattling Good Yarns Press is doing and the fact that you're hearing these voices and you're saying, let's give them a chance because all our history has to be out there, whether it's nonfiction, whether it's fiction. If we're not represented somewhere, then we... We fail, I think. And I think that's one of the things that you're doing as a publisher that's really admirable. Well, I, I think one of the most, and it's something we don't talk about in the community, but it's something I see one of the most overlooked voices is, is that of older yes. LGBTQ people. <clears throat> older voices are not cool. No. Um, it tends to be young people. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, so um, for some reason, because older voices are so overlooked, we, we get a lot of those authors. They tend to gravitate towards us. 
Um, I, so I, I think we're doing really very important work. And something I'd like to mention, Dan, because people may not know this, and it's a question I get asked, is whether we charge authors. Because there are hybrid publishers where the author bears some of the brunt. We are not that. Okay. We are a traditional publisher. So we do not charge the authors. We pay authors royalties on book sales. That's amazing. I love that. And do you work very closely with them on their social um, media presence? Or is that something they do on their own? Is Because I think that that's one of the things that I find, no matter who the author is, that that some are really, really good at it and some struggle at it. So as a publisher, where do you fall in that? Or does that affect you at all? Well, we're very small. So we don't have, we're very small, as I said, we publish fiscal conservative. We were very fiscally conservative. So, you know, advertising, so an ad might cost $450 okay. per book. Royalty for a book, the, 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 the margin left over might be five, $6 per book. And half of that goes to the author. So if you think about maybe you're dealing with two and a half dollars, three dollars a book, doing the math, you have to sell a lot of copies. Sure, sure. And, and, and so we try to use very effective means and cost effective means. So we have a YouTube channel. Um, we are the only publisher I know of that we, with every book, we create a book trailer. I love it. I love and, it. And, and, and mind you, this is just maybe I didn't know any better. And I thought, <laughs> oh, you know, I'll create book trailers. And another author that we have told us, oh, usually the author pays for that. And, you know, they go to some somebody to mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. a book trailer and they pay anywhere between two and three thousand dollars for a book trailer. We do that as a matter of course. And a strength is that I've edited many of these books. So I know these books intimately. I'm not somebody that puts together cookie cutter videos. I know the message that needs to get across. So we really know how to tailor it. We do give our authors, you know, social media assets, videos, but, and um, I will consult with them. We will put together a marketing plan, but they also share in having to promote, promote their book because we, you know, we have limited reach. And at uh, the Saints and Sinners Festival, I talked to one famous author who told me that, you know, his big publisher doesn't do much promotion. Mm -mm. You know, so unless you're a famous author where your name has a draw, you really have to get out there. And, and, and all of our books are wonderful. And authors have egos. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sometimes very hard to step outside themselves. Sure. Um, because they think, well, I wrote this, and oh, well, of course, it, it's, it's just going to fly off the shelves. And there aren't many, there are no, that I know of, LGBTQ bookstores anymore. I don't and, think so. And bookstores, if they have a section, it's very small. Think of the thousands of books that come out, LGBTQ books that come out every sure. year. So we try to use our most effective means to get to get the word out there. 
Well, and I did meet you and Suki at Saints and Sinners um, in March. And I know that you uh, participate with them and you buy ads with them, which is wonderful because I love the festival. I love what you guys do there. It's important. Um, and it's, it's a part of the Tennessee Williams Literary Festival and it's a rocking good time. Well, we, we always take out an ad because I feel they do such good work, Saints and Sinners. It's our way of supporting them. And, I agree. And, that, and that's an ad that we take out, not because I think, oh, we're going to sell all these books. So I think of the, always think of the intent. And the intent of that is to support saints and sinners. So, you know, something else, Dan, that comes to mind. I mean, we, we do a lot of things. So we'll sometimes do market research with a book or a book cover, depending. So uh, we have a book called At Sea with Patrick Dennis, My Madcap Mexican Adventure with the author of Auntie Maine, which is, I think, our longest book title. <laughs> we did four rounds of focus groups. And uh, each time had about 50 participants. I use survey. Mm -hmm. So this is leaning on my background. The original title of the book was At Sea with Patrick Dennis. And I tested that. And I realized nobody knew who Patrick Dennis was. So one of my questions was, um, what do you think this book is about? Just based on the title. Nobody knew. It took several iterations, several rounds to come out, come up with a title that people saw the title and they knew what it's about. We'll also test covers. So um, some of our book covers have been controversial, but we're now testing. And when I test book covers, you know, I'll ask just based on no text, just the image. What do you think this book is about? Um, an important question I also ask is what, which cover makes you want to read this book? The next question I ask is which cover would you be more comfortable, most comfortable being seen with at a cafe, on an airplane, on a train reading? Mm -hmm. You get completely different answers. Absolutely. So that brings me to another point that comes from my marketing background, because I used to collect product requirements from customers. And this is something I'm going to tell your audience. Never listen to what people tell you. Watch what they do. Mm -hmm. So yep. as I always tell my authors, oh, all my friends love it. You know, they're so excited for me. And I always tell them, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Tell them to buy the book. Oh, hello. I think that's maybe the most important thing of all. You know, it's, it's, it's important to support authors. But I also agree with you that if I'm your friend, I'm going to tell you what I think you want to hear because I'm your friend. Really, we do that with people because we like them, we love them, whatever it is. You know, the proof is in the pudding when you buy it or when you promote it or when you share it. Because those are the things that that means you really did enjoy it. If I read something that appealed only to me and it won't appeal to any of my friends, then I'm probably not going to share it. But if I find something I like, I'm willing to share it with everyone because I want them to experience the same fun 
or if it's a thriller, it scared the bejesus out of me. I want my friends to share in that. So it's important because it is, and it's a community. We're in this together. And supporting small publishers. Yes, absolutely. Because if Rattling Good Yarns Press wasn't here, the books that we have wouldn't be here. So you really need to vote with your dollars. Yes. And I don't care who you know, who the author is. And and I am more concerned with small press, but you need to vote with your dollars. If you want LGBTQ voices to be out there, vote with your dollars. Talk is wonderful and support is wonderful. What you do is much more important. Um, So I really encourage people to, 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 by these books and another thing unique about and it was a couple of years ago dan at um saints and sinners i was on a small publisher panel and somebody from the audience asked do you only publish lgbtq plus authors and the other publisher said oh i don't ask you know for the gay card and i said i do I i said we are an lgbtq publisher for LGBTQ to LGBTQ themes yep. and LGBTQ authors. Yes. Uh, you know, so for example, romance, male to male romance is dominated by straight women. Yes. And and there are publishers that do that and publish that. And I, that's not us. Mm-hmm. And I feel that there are enough publishers that people can go to, you know, um, we're we're very focused, and it kind of comes back to our political underpinnings. I love that. And if someone wanted to submit a work to your uh, publishing house, can they do that unsolicited, or how does that work? We do take unsolicited submissions. There is on our website there is a uh, submissions link, and the way it typically works is we, we do not accept a book for submission that's sitting with other uh, publishers. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain why, uh, because it happened back to back for Mm -hmm. me. We're very small. I mean, and I, we have very limited time. And when I read a full novel, I really read it and I invest time in it. And a couple of years ago, there were two novels that I read and it came to the point where I wanted, you know, I said, we'd like to publish it. And I was told, Oh, we've gone with another publisher. Well, that was, you know, I, I I have to fit reading into everything else I'm doing. Sure. So that may have taken up many hours of my time. Yeah. It's so it, to to me, I could have been reading another manuscript. Thank yeah. you. So it, it's something that I do out of fairness, both to Rattling Good Yarns Press and to the authors, because yes. it means other authors are back, you know, held back in the line where they could be moving to the front of the queue. So the way it typically works, the way it does work is um, you you send us, you fill out a form on the website, you give us a synopsis, you submit that to us. If we like the synopsis, we'll ask for the first three chapters. Okay, all right. If we like the first three chapters and we're intrigued, we'll ask for the full for the full novel, um, we we obviously we do 
there are books that we say we don't think it's for us. Um, we don't think it's for our readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we always respond. And we always treat people. And remember, if I go back to one of our mission statements, treat produce quality work and treat people right. We always treat people right. And we're always very transparent. It's priceless. It really is priceless, Ian. I mean, that's really what... Uh, an author wants. They want someone that's transparent, but they also want a partner in their publishing journey. And that's what you want as well. You want an author to publish. And our our editing process is intensely collaborative. And I I said I came from technology and software. I actually use a software methodology for creating a book. And we, we work on the book in very small chunks. Okay very collaborative with the author the book is simultaneously once the author signed off on a chapter or in a chunk is getting laid out they see the book as it's being laid out one of the things i learned from my background um because i used to do user testing heuristics what do people recognize um that Human perception is very interesting. Human perception is designed to decrease, I'm going to use a 25 cent word (laughs) or term, is to reduce cognitive load. Basically to stop, help us not think. And if you think about your morning routine, you probably in a daze go through all sorts of activities and you're not thinking about it. Well, how does that relate to books? When you've been looking at a... um, something that is a word file. Our brains are really good at filling in blanks, at skipping things. I'm sure you in the audience have really? seen things where you've picked it up a month later. Why did I not see that? <laughs> well, our brains are good at filling that in. And, and Dan, have you ever walked from one room into another and forgotten why? No, of course never, Ian, like every day. <laughs> well, let me explain the behavioral science behind that. The act of moving from one room kind of presses a little bit of a a little reset button in our brains. So what I found is is as the fidelity of the book changes, as we go from from a document to a laid out PDF where it has a higher fidelity, the author suddenly sees things that they never saw before. So our process is meant to be very efficient and flush out errors. And in, in, in the other part is we can never pay attention to too much. Hence, we work on little chunks at a time. So the process is designed to be, it's a, it's a efficient process and it drives out um, errors and, and many, and any changes that the author wants to make along, along the way. That's very interesting. That's something, you know, for those of us who read and aren't in the publishing world, we don't always think about what goes on with that. I mean, I hear authors saying, you know, the editor had this and that and the other, but I don't really think of exactly how it works. So that's extraordinarily interesting. I'd like Well, that. Well, I'm a developmental editor. I, I just learned that. Another <laughs> publisher, a friend of mine told me, you're a developmental editor. I don't know. I just edit. <laughs> um, and so what I'll do and I have this, there's a book coming out in, in, in the spring called The Cat and the Act, where the character 
his, his cat has been put to sleep and his character comes back as a ghost and it's giving him life guidance. It's actually a background of age and, 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 and mourning and getting back out there into the world. Um, and he goes to visit a, a, a friend who's in St. Vincent's Hospital okay. who, has, uh, who has AIDS. And the character walks into the room. And I said, would he just walk into the room? He's, he's got all this baggage. He's about to see one of his closest friends who's been hospitalized. Would he linger in the doorway? What would go through his head for a play? What right. direction would you give the actor? If you were an actor, what emotion would you bring to that act of walking through the door? And he went back and he rethought that simple act mm -hmm. of walking through the door. And, and he didn't write paragraphs, but he wrote enough to imbue that. Because, yeah. you know, another thing for authors is, and I hear this, oh, for me, it's like watching a movie. Mm -hmm. That's great. Your reader does action. Your reader does not see the expressions on their face. Right. So the acting, the direction, the narrative provides that. The narrative provides context. Um, not all along, but that's what a developmental editor will do. They will, it, it, it's more than is the grammar correct. Right. Right. Um, it, it, it's more about bringing out what's in what's in the book the book an angry god that i said we're coming out with where the preacher what what i won't give away much of it but I, I i said there's there's a moment in it and and i said do you think the point is being driven home enough mm. point to bury again thinking of the audience that he's writing for which was meant to be a younger audience should there be more and I don't mean like in your face, but is mm. there a way to make it more apparent right. that words have impact? Oh, I love it. I love it. Do you have a website you'd like to share with the audience? I do, or we do. <laughs> Good. It's rattling, rattlinggoodyarns.com. All right. So that's R-A-T-T-L-I-N-G-G-O-O-D. Y-A-R-N-S dot com. And a rattling good yarn, yarn is a British uh, expression for something that's really a good story. <laughs> I love it. it. And you do produce good stories. Um, we have a YouTube channel also under yeah. rattlinggoodyarns.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page also under rattlinggoodyarns.com. And we have Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. We will definitely be able to find you and all of your works. Thank you so much, Ian, for being well, here. Well, thank you so much, Dan. And, you know, you're, you know, while we're talking about good work, you're good doing good work. Thank you. Because, thank you know, you. There, there are those that would want to silence us. As we know, with the political climate, there are those who want us to go back in the closet, those who want us to disappear, and those who want to silence us. So I'm going to go back to my early roots. I went in the 70s to uh, uh, 
workshop that was being held by a community group in the village in New York. And it was about being safe on the streets. Mm -hmm. Something has really struck me that has stuck with me then. They said, if you're ever walking down the street and you don't feel safe, run out into the middle of the street, run into the gutter, start screaming, start waving your hands, make as much noise as possible. Well, you know, we've got these people who want to silence us and they're stalking us. Yes. They're running for us. We need to run out in the middle of the street and make as much noise as possible. And Dan, you're one of the people doing that. Thank you so much, Ian. So are you. I think we make a good team, you and I and all of our friends. We have to stick together and none of us are going to be silenced. No. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ian. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.